Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, how many of you are just totally finished with like Christmas celebrations? You don't have any others happening, period. Anybody? Several? Right? How many of you have one more Christmas party you're going to? Gathering? Yeah. I do too. What is, I don't understand what that is. It's either Christmas or not. Oh, it's not like a gathering. You're just getting like, yeah. Basically, Amazon is bringing, gotcha, gotcha, good. Um, so yeah, I have one more, and it's tomorrow, it's all day long, it's at my in-law's house. Uh, they were actually here at the first service, which was, which was uh, great, but, um, but yeah, we, we have that tomorrow, and then that will be it, and you were right into like New Year's, and then we'll be right back at Christmas. Isn't that what it seems like? I mean, it just seems like it's just always Christmas, yeah. Yeah, these people that say they um, celebrate Christmas all year around, I have some thoughts about that, but I do feel like that sometimes. I feel like we turn around and we're right there at, at Christmas, but nonetheless. Okay, well, we're in a series called Real, and this is part three. So I want to kind of give you a roadmap of some, some of this sermon stuff and how this all kind of fits together. Um, if you're familiar with Marvel movies... You have a story here, and a story here, and a story here, and a story here, and it all comes together in like a middle story, like they put all this stuff together. Well, that's similar to how this, these sermon series have occurred from November till now. For instance, we started with Real 1, that was the first one in the series. Real 2, of course, was the second one. But then we did Temple 3, and then Temple 4, and now we're at Real 3, Okay. So all of those are a part of the same kind of thought progression in a series themselves and their separate series at the same time, right? Not only that, but this one that we're doing in real is actually our first sermon in a study through the Sermon on the Mount, which will actually occur starting next December, the second sermon, next December in 20. 22 and will continue into 2023. So this is the first of that series, but the third of this series, which is actually the one, two, three, four, what, fifth of this series. So is everybody with me? Great, good. Well, I just wanted to give you that. <laughs> Whether you were with me or not, I wanted to let you know. So if you go back and listen to these, you would, you would listen to Real one, real two, temple three, temple four, real three, and you would see a thought progression all the way through. And we're actually going to conclude this thing um, next week with real, real four. So that said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, and it will get a lot clearer as we go along. Matthew chapter five, this is of course the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it is the text for the Sermon on the Mount. There's other places in scripture where this sermon is referenced. But um, nonetheless, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And we are going to start with verse 13, which isn't the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but that's just the way we roll here. So we'll start with verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. And this is what it says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you've been in church a while, this is not your first sermon with salt and light. It's just, it's just not. There, there's been constant and a lot of preachers preaching on salt and light for, for years. And, and this seems to be a favorite text that the preachers go to and they preach. And so there's a lot of stuff that you have heard about this, about this passage. For instance, um, I'm sure at some level, if you remember it or not, you have heard that it says you are the salt and you are the light. That means without any effort on your part, you are salt, and without any effort on your part, you are light. It is who you are. It is your being. The way that you got to be salt and the way that you got to be light it's when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior and you became a Christian and instantly you became the salt in the world and the light in the world because your savior saved you and made you that way. It is a position. You're never not salt. You're, you're never not light. This passage of scripture says that you can lose your saltiness. It says you can hide your light, but you're still salt even though You've lost it, you've lost the taste part of it, and you're still light even though you are hiding it. So you and I, in being, are salt and light. So, so pastors all the time, they, they, they talk about that particular thing. You are salt of the earth, but mm, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? If you've been at this long enough, you've also heard people talk about the different types of salt and, and, and this, and, and they've talked about different types of light and, and this sort of thing. So you've heard about salt and light your probably entire uh, church existence, right? There's certain things that are very familiar to you about this particular passage. Um, so you go back to the text and it says, you are the salt of the earth. Now that particular word earth there is actually the word soil. It's soil, it's, it's dirt. So if you slow down a couple of minutes and you start thinking about this, okay, salt of the earth and dirt, what does that have to do with anything? Like why is salt of the dirt what, what is the connection there? And so you, you start thinking about this. There is what is called in Israel, the Dead Sea. You familiar with the Dead Sea? And the Dead Sea has tons of salt in it. And it's all different types of salt that's in the Dead Sea. All different types of salt. It's not just table salt. It is all types of salt that is in the Dead Sea. And so Jesus is talking to people. He always used these like familiar things when he was teaching to the Jews. And he's talking to these people that are very well acquainted with the salt of the Dead Sea and what it's used for. And so when he tells them, be salt of the earth, this is what he's saying to them. First, salt in those days from the Mediterranean Sea was used as a fertilizer. 
So they would buy salt or go down to the Mediterranean. I did it again. I did that in the first service. It's not the Mediterranean Sea. It's the Dead Sea. They would go down to the Dead Sea. They would get some salt and they would take it back to their garden and they would fertilize whatever they planted. Now, to make sure that I do this correct, I'm going to use my, my notes. And this is, this is how this works, okay? There was phosphates that they got, and that was good for the roots. There was nitrates, and that was good for the actual plant. And then there was potassium chloride, which is good for the fruit and the blooms. So this fertilizer was good for the growth that was in the ground. So they took this and they used it as fertilizer. So salt of the earth, you put it in the seeds that's in the ground and something good is produced. So what Jesus is telling you and he's telling me is that we are salt of the earth and we need to fertilize the dirt that we're in and produce something good out of it. With me? So that's one thing that was going through their mind. But there's something else. That was going through their mind too. You see, every household had salt and light in it. For instance, every household in here has salt and light, right? You've, you've got salt in your house and you have light in your house. And in fact, when the electric company, for some reason, doesn't send power to your house and you have no light, that way you go and find a Okay, a candle or a flashlight or some type of device where you can light your house. So even when we don't have the electricity for the light, we still have light in our house. Everybody, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're middle class, whatever you are, you always have salt, you always have light in your house. And it's no different in the first century. They always had salt in their house, but they use salt a little bit differently. I don't know if you've ever tasted Jewish food and please forgive me for this, but it's the blandest, horriblest food on the planet. There's no seasoning in the food. It's my belief that God should have, well, not should have, I, I wish that he would have. That's a better way to put it without being struck with lightning. Um, he should have used the Italians to season the Right? That's what he should have done. But nonetheless, that's what he could have done, not should have done. I have to make that correct. Anyway, back to this. So they, they <laughs> there he goes. He's getting me. <clears throat> okay, I got it. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> okay, that was a warning. All right. So, so they use salt differently, Okay. So the way that you saw it is, let's say this is the back door of their house. They would walk out into their backyard. There would be a fence area. And in this corner, they would take care of their business. You know, all of you have toilets in your house, privacy. And then some of you know what an outhouse is. One or two of you might have used them. They're not pointing fingers, but I'm just saying you might have used them in your time. I don't know. I never did. But you know what they are. But back then, they didn't have outhouses either, where you dug a hole and you do it all there and you, you go somewhere else. You know, they didn't do that. But what they did was they had yard tools and they would dig a little area in the dirt. They would do their business. And then over to the side, there was this thing of salt where they would scoop out some salt and put it on top of it. And then they would scrape the dirt back over and they put salt on the dirt. Now, the reason that they were doing that 
is because salt would prevent bad things from taking root in their yard that they didn't want to grow in their yard as a result of their stuff, okay? So Jesus is talking to people that use salt for fertilizer to grow good stuff and use salt to stop bad things from progressing in their yard. And so when he said, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying, you are salt, you're supposed to produce good in this world and you're supposed to prevent bad things from getting a foothold in the world. So your job and my job is to stop society from going down morally. We, you and I, are salt and are given the power not to preserve this, but to create something good and prevent the bad stuff from spreading. The reason the culture is going in the direction that it's going in is because Christians aren't being salt. Because if we were, the culture would not only be producing things that are good, the stuff that is bad would be preventing, prevented from strength, from um, growing. Sometimes I feel like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> so it prevented from growing. That's you, that's you and me. That's you and me. That's salt. So be salt. Now, you might say, well, Philip, that, that's really a good story. And I'm not really sure that that's exactly what Jesus meant here. You, you might say that. And I would say you have a right to be wrong. Because I have Jesus on my side. And this is what Jesus said. He said this. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil, which is the word for earth. In the other passage, they're the same word. Or for the manure pile. That is, in Greek, there's a different word for animal manure and human manure, and that is the word for human manure. He is relating it to your backyard. For the manure pile, it is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus says, you are salt. Jesus says, you are put in place as a restrainer for evil and as a promoter of good things in this world, do your job. Wow. So back to Matthew, it says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So, you know, this has bugged me for years. Bugged me for years. It's not that I don't think Jesus knew what he was talking about. I know he did. That's why it bugs me. What I know about salt is salt never stops being salt. 
You know what I mean? There, there's nothing you can do to salt where it would actually lose its taste. Even if you dissolve it in water, that water is nasty salt water that you might gargle for a reason, but you don't want to drink it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like salt never loses its taste. So how in the world, what is he talking about here? How in the world does salt lose its taste? And to the hearers that he's talking to, the Jews absolutely knew what this meant. They absolutely knew it. And so this is what it means. There were people back in those days that were swindlers. They were deceivers. They were those salespersons that would sell you stuff that they would make you think you were buying something, but you were really buying something else. And so when you went to the market and you bought salt, there were some of the swindlers who had taken sand and mixed it with a little bit of salt and would sell you that because it almost looked the same. So you would take this home and you would start using it in different places and before too long you would realize that what you had in your possession wasn't really totally salt, it was 98% sand. And so you were fertilizing your crops with sand and nothing good was happening. You were putting sand on your manure in the backyard and it wasn't preventing the bad stuff from growing. And so when Jesus said you lose your saltiness, what he was saying is the reason that you lose your taste is because you have mixed yourself with the sands of the world. So you mix yourself with all this sand and your saltiness is gone because you're more sand than salt. Doesn't that take you somewhere in a parable that Jesus had. There are people that build their lives on the sand and not on the rock. And when those storms come, they are washed away. See? So you've got that sort of imagery happening here. So mixing, 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 mixing. And I'm here to tell you, listen, Chris, we've got to quit mixing with the sands of the world. We've got to quit doing this. You see, we, <clears throat> I hear it. And I'm not saying that you should quit talking, but I hear it a lot. We complain about the government. We complain about everything that's wrong in the world, but we fail to complain about what's wrong in our own home. We want all of this to change out here, but we don't have the same tenacity to change what needs to be changed in our own households. Like there are things happening in our households that are just sandy and it's causing us to lose our salt effectiveness. And you are not gonna be able to change the government because you're not called to do that. You're not gonna be able to change this other stuff, but you can change what happens in your home. All you have to do is quit allowing the sand in your life and your sand in your house and be salt once again. Salt changes environments. Salt doesn't change. Salt changes environments. Light is always the same. It never changes. It always changes the environment that it's in. I'll give you an example. Grandma and grandpa that are believers. And if, if you have what I had, and what my kids currently have in both sets of grandparents is grandparents that are biblically based, 
and faithful to the scriptures. So when Christmas happens, right, and everybody knows that grandma and grandpa love the word of God and they go to church every Sunday and they stand, they stand for that. And your cousins, you know the ones I'm talking about? The cousins that aren't salt at all or light come to grandma and grandma's house, they change the way they act, don't they? They definitely don't act that way in front of grandma and grandpa because grandma and grandpa will call them out on it. And you just don't do that. And if grandma and grandpa don't call them out on it, um, someone else in the family will call them out on it. Why? Because grandma and grandpa are being sought in their environment and they've made a change and there's something good in that house. They, they're preventing the bad from happening and that good stuff is happening. And so when cousins come in, when your cousins come in, when you go in, there's a different way that People act around grandma and grandpa because they're salt. Then they act out here in the world. That is the power of being salt. And you can be that too. See, let's think about this. There's absolutely no reason why a grandkid should respect and obey and be different at grandma and grandpa's house. Grandma and grandpa can't spank them and even if they could, they could be outran. I'm not making fun of old people, but they're not as fast as the younger people in their home. Are you with me? So it has to be something else. It's not that grand, grandpa has a gun. It's not that, you know, it, it's just something like, it's nothing like that at all. It has to do with being salty. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to be salt in our houses. There's stuff where... We're allowing to be watched in our house that we need to say, we can't watch that. There's stuff that happens. I mentioned Marvel movies before. There's stuff I talk about concerning Marvel movies because not all of them are pure as the white driven snow. I've never seen white driven snow. The only white driven snow I've ever seen is muddy. I mean, it, I, I don't understand that analogy, but it's not, it's not pure. And so you talk about it and you shed light on what's happening on the screen. Someone has to scoop the salt and put it on the manure. Come on. Somebody has to do that. And if you don't do it, that stuff will grow. And instead of being salt and God honoring in your home, you'll be something totally different. So salt, be salt, stand for something be there, have morals, make sure you haven't mixed the sandiness of the world into this. Listen, this is happening in, in churches all across America. I'm just gonna say this, and I know I really don't care if I offend anybody, I really don't, because I didn't make the rules, okay? I believe them and I proclaim them. There shouldn't be a homosexual pastor. There, there just shouldn't be that. Someone has allowed manure to grow in that environment. And all the liberal churches allowing all the liberal stuff that is against Scripture are using sand instead of salt. 
And when you mix with the world in order to fit in, when you mix with the world in order to quote unquote, be like them so you don't feel different from them, every time you mix, every time you, you um, submit to whatever they're doing culturally is the moment that you are following the world rather than Jesus. Come on. And so you don't follow them, you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you become the salt that produced something, something good and you prevent the bad stuff from occurring, at least within your environment. I believe that we need Christians that are salt and light in the government I believe that we need Christians that are salt and light in our school systems. I believe that we need Christians that are salt and light writing newspaper articles on, on the web, in the gym, at restaurants. I believe we need Christians that are dedicated to be salt and light in their environment so that we can produce something good and turn this country around. And we have the power to do it because it's been given to us by God. Wow, that's challenging, isn't it? You know, Jesus is just supposed to love everybody and just be nice, right? Jesus wasn't that nice all the time. He loved you, but he wasn't that nice all the time. All right, so let's move to light, okay? And to move to light, I would like to talk about, if you don't mind, fingers. Is that okay? just want to talk about fingers a few moments, okay? Fingers. I'm going to talk about light, but I want to talk about fingers. So here's a couple of passages of scriptures about fingers. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. This is talking about God. God's finger in relation that this finger that is causing the moon and the stars to come into being is God's finger. It's a claim to be God. God's the one that did it. So here's the next one. This is 31, 18 says, when he had finished speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. Listen, that's a powerful finger. I don't know if you know anything about stone, but to etch something in stone, that's a pretty powerful finger. So God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger. I would, I would be... I get to the third word and be like, it, I misspelled it. Crack. <laughs> Start all over. <laughs> but here's, here's God. He's just writing it with his finger because that is connected to God. So next, Daniel 5.5, 5, it says, Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. So God's hand wrote on the wall is his fingers writing on the wall. Next, um, Luke chapter 11, verse 20 says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, see that connection? Finger of God, power, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So this finger is connected with God doing something. It's basically saying that you are God. God has written. It is God's finger that is writing this sort of thing. So God's, God's finger. Um, so light. Um, you know, it says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. 
you are and I am. Do you know that Jesus, I know you know this, Jesus is also said to be light, right? It's what we share with him. There's no place in scripture that says that Jesus is salt. No place in scripture where it says that, none at all. But it does say that Jesus is light. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 42, he's a light to the nations. In Luke chapter two, verse 32, he's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. In the book of John, eight times Jesus is referred to as being light. First part of the book, it's John talking about Jesus being light, and then the rest of it is Jesus telling you that he is the light. So we, we have this light thing going on with Jesus. It's something that he shares with you and I being light. Now next, in 2023, we're actually going to take this another step from this passage, and we're going to cover all those verses, Lord willing, if he continues to lead me in this direction, about light, okay? But for this morning, I want us to go to the first one where Jesus says, I am the light. So turning your Bibles to John chapter eight and let it, let's explore a few moments this concept of light. John chapter eight and we'll begin reading with verse 13, I think. John chapter eight. There we go. And this is what it says, verse 12, actually. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You know, the sun comes up and the darkness goes away and the sun goes down and the darkness comes. You turn on a light, the light is in the room. It illuminates the room. You turn the light off, you know, it's, it's a dark room. So Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will always be walking in light, not in darkness. You will have the light of life. Now you look at this verse and you're like, okay, so <clears throat> what does this mean? What, what does this mean? What does he really mean here? And to get the meaning of what he's saying, at least part of it, you need to go back to chapter 8, verse 1, and read what happened there. So check this out. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, they might have some charge to bring against them. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We have spent way too much time trying to hypothesize what Jesus wrote rather than trying to think about what he is picturing. Jesus wrote in the sand to say to those scribes who knew scripture, he's writing with finger to say, I am God. Second, 
he is telling the scribes that the very commandment that they are quoting, he wrote it. Come on. And whether they caught it or not, that's precisely the picture that he is portraying. And if he's not portraying it to, if they didn't get it, we are getting it now. And every Jew that reads this story understands that the finger of God means that you are claiming to be God and he's writing in the sand. It does not matter what he's writing. He's writing as Jesus Christ, God. That's crazy, isn't it? I am the light of the world, and I am the God that wrote the commandment that you're testing me with. Okay. Because Jesus was always nice. Okay. All right. So here we go, verse 5. No, let's let's go down verse 7. And as they stood and continued to ask him. (laughs) So... They asked him over and over and over and over and over and over again because he's writing in the sand and, and they think he's ignoring them, but he's not. And so they keep asking him. And do you ever have that person just ask you that question over and over and you're just like, well, you just, okay, I'll answer it. Okay, right, I'll just answer it. They're trying to get on his nerves. They're trying to get on his last nerve, but they do not know who they're messing with. They just don't get it. So, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. So just in case you missed it when I was writing the first time, I'm going to do it a second time to claim that I'm God. And this particular verse of Scripture isn't what we think it is. Like normally we take this verse of Scripture and it's like, well, he who is without sin should cast the first stone and we should never judge anybody. I mean, that's what we, that's what we often talk about in church. But this isn't what is being said here. You see, Jesus has just talked to religious teachers And he has brought out another aspect of the law that says this. A witness against someone or a witness that is here in a case cannot be guilty of the same sin any time in their life. So what he's saying here is, hey guys, I know what you've been doing. And any of you that have, com- have not committed adultery, you go ahead and pick up <laughs> the first stone. I'm glad Siri gave me a definition to adultery. I know what that means. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yeah. Is that not remarkable? So let's think about this a minute. Where did they find the woman? Like, I've thought about this. I don't even know. No, you, I'm not trying to say anything about me, but you should be relieved to know this. I don't know where to find one. Like, I, I think I know maybe in Winston, corner. I'm, I think, I mean, I've heard it in papers, but I haven't been, do you understand? I haven't been there. I mean, I, could, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't have interactions. And, and even if I knew where it was, I wouldn't know the time of day that would be optimal for grabbing a woman like this, 
Like, are you tracking? I mean, I'm, clu- I'm really clueless about this whole thing. I hope you are too. But I'm trying to get a point here that all these people grabbed this adulterous woman from the place that they had frequented. They were going to it. They were sandy and should have been salt. So they bring her and they accuse him and they test him. And he's like, okay, I wrote the law. He stands back up and says, hey, any of you that haven't committed adultery, according to the law, can be a witness. So you pick up that first stone. And he just went down. And the scripture says here, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Isn't that amazing? They were trying to stone her for a sin that they had committed repeatedly. Wow. So Jesus, they're gone. And he asked that question, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, Sin no more. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. The only way the lady would not go back to that lifestyle was to change her life and follow Jesus, the light of the world. She couldn't go back to darkness or she would do it again. But he says, if you follow me, you're following the light. And in forgiving her, he gave her the gift of mercy, not so that she could go back and do it again, but so she could change her ways and follow Jesus like she should. And I submit to you today that God is offering you the same opportunity. He is giving you mercy, even though you might have mixed your life with sand and you're not as salty. You're not preventing the bad stuff from happening in your home. You're not growing things in your environment that's good. He is saying to you this morning, I offer you mercy. I'm not condemning you, but what I want you to do is turn from that and follow me because I am light. And when you follow me, you will not go back to the same sin over and over again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me does not walk in darkness. So how much darkness are you walking in today? Or are you walking in the light of Christ? If you're walking in darkness, you've lost your saltiness because there's a lot of sand mixed up in it. But the good news is that Jesus will forgive and restore you to the saltiness that you need to be in this world to change your environment and change your culture. And that is an amazing offer. It's an amazing offer. Um, I have permission to tell this story just up front. I actually got it in the last service, but nonetheless, I have permission. 
have permission to, to uh, tell the story. <clears throat> this morning, um, I was going to sleep to 6.30 and wake up. And if you know anything about me, I really like sleep. I, I like to get my sleep and then get up and then do this because I, if I'm tired, it's fun. It's fun, but I'm not sure it's productive up here. So I like to get my sleep. And Nicole, because she was leading worship, was wake, waking up at 6.15. And so her, her um, alarm on her phone, she's been charging her phone on a chair in the corner of our room. And our, our bed's here. She sleeps on this side, and that chair is right over here. And so she had plugged it in, and she set her alarm and stuff. And so at 6.15 in the morning, that alarm went off, and she got up quickly to turn off the alarm as to not wake me up. Isn't that just the greatest wife ever, right? We're going to cut off the alarm and not wake him up, let him get that 15 minutes of sleep and not disturb him. Just absolutely amazing. So she hops up and very quickly goes to the chair to turn off the alarm. But what she had forgot was that our box of wrapping paper was in her way. And so what I hear is, oh, so the alarm's going off and I hear, oh, Philip, I've fallen I wish she'd have finished it. That would have been hilarious. And I need your help. So she's over here. She, so I'm getting up out of bed. And, and you know, it, it, I'm one of these that's like just has to get my bearings, you know, what's going on, you know. And I finally get my bearings. I go over and I try to help her up. And, and we turn off the alarm. We do everything. And she, her arm is still hurting, okay? But don't worry about it. She's used to it. She, she gets hurt all the time. She's used to it. She's used to the pain, absolutely used to this. But nonetheless, her arm's still hurting to there, there. Now, the thing that would have helped her this morning is if she'd have turned on the light. Because when you turn on the light, she would have saw the box and she would not have stumbled and fell. Here's my point. The reason some of us in this room keep falling over and over and over again is because we're not following Jesus. We haven't turned on that light. So we wake up during the day and we're constantly tripping and we're constantly hurting ourselves and we're constantly falling down because we're still living in darkness when we don't have to. We don't have to. The light is always there. So please, take God's gift of mercy. Follow him out of the darkness into his light and quit tripping over the same sin over and over and over again. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for this passage of scripture.